What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording this early on a Friday morning here in Atlanta. This episode will be a, probably be a three-parter. But first up, Jeff Schultz of the AJC, someone I've been reading for a very long time. Jeff, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I, I love when people. Uh, young Turks like you start like that because it just it makes me feel about 112 years old. So I, I thanks. Oh, it, it, that it, was the goal. Yeah, so yeah. mission accomplished. <laughs> and I immediately look around for the finish line. <laughs> but thank you. Already looking around. No, you got you got a lot of years ahead of you, man. I, I think you and Mark Bradley and the gang um, still need to keep writing because I'm still reading. Okay. So you you can't retire yet. Appreciate that. Um, but you're in the podcast world. You're with Zach Klein. Um, how is that going? We love it. You know, uh, I, I've known Zach for a while and, uh, you know, he's just, sometimes it's just somebody else in the industry that you sort of hit it off with. And we became mm-hmm. friends and we started talking about it. And, um, you know, we're, we're in two completely different mediums as it is. I write, he broadcasts and, and we were sort of looking for something to bridge the two and, you know, it, it's much like a, some, how some of the ESPN talk shows got started. I know that uh, Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser, you know, they were friends. They worked together at the Washington Post, and they were sitting together in press box one day, and they said, hey, here's this idea for a show. And that's kind of how how um, that show got started on ESPN. And and so mm-hmm. we Zach and I sort of did the same thing, and we liked the fact that, um, you know, we've both been in town for a long time. I've been here for um, 28 years now. And, um, you know, there are a lot of times, even in writing columns where I think people really can't see sometimes how, when I interview somebody, if I, if I'm giving that much time that I could actually sit down with them and go back and forth and be conversational. There's only so much you can put in print. Sometimes it comes through a little more if you, if you do a Q and a, um, mm-hmm. but even then it, it's different than actually hearing it, uh, which is one advantage Zach has in his industry. Unfortunately, he's got about two minutes to, pre- to broadcast an interview. And so, right. um, it's just some sort of that developed that way. And, you know, we got off to a, a good start with some really good interviews with Paul Johnson of Georgia tech and Arthur blank. And, and I think Arthur blank even swore on it, which was kind of funny. Um, and, and we've <laughs> he had, probably, he seems like someone that swears a lot. On yeah. His, uh, yeah. He's like personally, like he, yeah. he, he does. He's, uh, look, when you're a self-made billionaire, you're a little bit driven and he's, he's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I like Arthur a lot. I know mean, I've known Arthur for a long time, but, um, you don't get to be that way unless you're driven and, and emotional and as polished as he is in, in public, he can be, uh, he can be emotional behind the scenes. But anyway, um, uh, you know, we've been fortunate to have some really good guests, uh, both in sports and even in the entertainment industry. And we'll see. We'll see how long we, we continue it. I hope you keep continuing it because it's good and I like it. Um, 
another thing that's good right now in Atlanta, it's really weird that just about everything is going really well. It's like everything that uh, a sports fan really wants out of his city. You have one team going full tank, so that's great. Right. You, you want that. You want at least one team <laughs> doing that. Now, which Atlanta one would that be? I don't just know. Got done with... <laughs> exactly. Well, um, John Taylor of SI, we were talking about this in the pod uh, last week where my whole thing was like, the people, if the Hawks were really worried, because attendance was going to be bad no matter what, and I think they finished 30th in league attendance this year. And if they were barely going to, fans can watch the NBA and like, even if you are a Hawks fan, you can tune in when like there's a good game or you can go and there's like one or two games a year that you really want to see, like it, when the Lakers come in with Lonzo or whatever, there, you can still enjoy the product even though your team is tanking. And that's the difference with being a sports fan now versus 30 years ago where you're forced to watch your own team that's terrible for years and years. This way, like like you already know, being in Atlanta for 28 years, that there's not that many Hawks fans to begin with. And the one, a lot of the basketball fans that are here are watching um, everybody else. They're watching the Warriors on primetime. They're watching the Cavs. They're watching LeBron. They're, like, it doesn't really sting the city for them to tank for years on him because... It, it's just there's not going to be like a lot of outrage like there would be um, in other uh, sports cities. Is is that fair? Well, I mean, you're right in that the kind of the dichotomy or contradiction here in Atlanta is that uh, if you look at NBA television ratings, they're really high. I mean, they're they're generally they're generally in the top ten uh, in in NBA in in playoff ratings, even though the Hawks aren't in it or when they're not in it. Um, and, and, but yet when you go to a, to a Hawks game, sometimes the crowds aren't great. Now, when the big teams come to town, they're great. I mean, the ones you, you reference. Right. Um, and I think ideally what you want to do, obviously, is you know there's basketball fans here. So it's not like you have to sell yep. the sport. And there actually is a little bit of a history here. I mean, granted, you know, the Hawks never won a championship, never got to the finals. <laughs> But I mean, you had the whole Neek era, and and you had some Doc Rivers. You had some really good players go through here for a while, and they were really competitive for a while, and might have gotten further if they didn't have to, you know, run through the Sixers and or the Celtics and whoever else uh, when the East was the East. Um, but mm-hmm. ideally, what you want to do is get crowds out here for those two Tuesday night games against the Hornets, <laughs> you know, and and. <laughs> uh, and not just have them come out when the Celtics and the Warriors or whoever's and the Lakers, whoever's coming out here. So um, there is the potential there if you do it right. Uh, we can we can talk about their new coach and their new direction here in a second. But I uh, we'll see what happens. So to me, it always starts. It sort of always starts at the top with with ownership. How committed are they? And then obviously mm-hmm. hiring the right people and, and putting them in the right place. Sidebar, did you see the Carolina Hurricanes have gotten the band back together from the uh, <laughs> prime Atlanta Thrashers year? I, I actually it's uh, insane. I actually sent Don Waddell a text message uh, right after he uh, <laughs> got the job saying, I knew you couldn't stay away. And, uh-huh. and he said, yeah, all I need now is for you to come up here and cover me. So <laughs> yeah. I, said that, I, did that, I said that's Hurricane not going fans. to happen. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Get excited, Carolina Hurricanes fans. Yeah. I think they've always wanted the Atlanta Thrashers era to come to Carolina. There you go. And then Prince uh, Demore. De, De how do you pronounce his name? Denaro. What is it? <laughs> the, the Carolina Hurricanes legend from Deanne Demore? I don't know. Oh, uh, oh Brindamore? I always forget how to pronounce it. Rod Brindamore. Rod Brindamore. There it is. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Play, yeah he played yeah, He's their new coach. Too. Yes. He's a, he was a really smart player, too. I, I hate to predict. 
how a coach will do, but he was a really smart player, almost one of those players on the ice, or coaches on the ice kind of guy. So he could be really good. Um, All right, 25 seconds on the Carolina. That, that's enough. Just way too much. Yeah, we don't the podcast. We just yeah. lost like 30. <laughs> yeah, no more. <laughs> um, you sure you don't so want to go into line combinations? Okay. No, I, I'm good. I, I appreciate the effort, but no. Okay. It's All a hard right. pass from me. Okay. Yeah. Um, Lloyd Pierce, what do you make it the higher so far? Um, I, I'm sorry, Arthur. I mean, Pierce, Lloyd Pierce. Yeah. I, uh, yes. I like it. Now, I, as I just said a second ago, I, I, I never pre one constant in my career in, in, in writing columns or blogs or whatever is and even in beat days is I never would prejudge a coach. And the reason I, mm-hmm. I do that is I learned the hard way. I mean, I, I've seen coaches who had no name or who were really unpopular with the public, uh, when they were hired the example of this? and they just, and they just ended up being really good. And then I've seen coaches who came out and won the press conference. Either they were popular because they had had success before, or they were popular because they were on TV, which for some reason, a lot of fans seem to think makes you smarter, makes you a better coach because you're really mm-hmm. good on TV. Um, and then the guy, and then the guy fell on, on their face. So I, I, I never prejudge a coach. Now that said, mm-hmm. um, I've talked to some people um, and, and Lloyd Pierce, seems it seems like they hit it right i mean it, it seems like they they made a smart hire we'll see we'll see how they do um you know in those moments in games when when you're not when he's not the assistant coach when you're one seat over on the bench it makes a big difference and you're the one making those big picture decisions right now on on rotations and who plays and who sits and 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 what buttons do you push when your team is winning? What buttons do you push when your team is losing? Because now it's sort of up to you, but he's a really smart guy. Uh, he was known for, for bringing young players along. Uh, they loved him in Philly where obviously um, they did a massive rebuilding project. Now they, they've got some other issues today. <laughs> uh, I haven't had a chance to ask uh, Mr. Pierce about uh, Brian Colangelo or whether he himself has any, Twitter burner account. Something tells me he's not going to answer anything. <laughs> probably, about that. probably Something not. Says he's going to avoid yeah. that. <laughs> probably not. Just make sure you ask him about the big collars. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. Um, Do you think that's a initial thing, BC? Like he has to have big collars because his initials are Brian Calandula? I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't begin to mm. understand what's inside the man's head. Uh, but uh, great no, stuff. Yeah, but I, but I like. Uh, but I like Pierce. I mean, I've, I've you know talked to him a couple of times. Yeah. I actually talked to him when he came out to the Braves game to throw out the first pitch, and at the same mm-hmm. time that the same night that the draft lottery was going on, um, so he went out through the first pitch and then he ducked back into a private club to watch the draft lottery. And he was pretty excited. Granted, mm-hmm. that Hawks didn't get the top three pick, but they didn't drop and they moved up one to four. So, so he was right. uh, he was happy. I'm sorry, he moved it to three. So he was happy about that. Yeah. Um, and uh he's good like there's been a lot of good players i mean Embiid went three you had porter beal they're like outside of jaleel okafor the last like six number three picks have all been home runs for teams so like there's gonna be good value there but i will say i don't know where you are on this but i am very much out on marvin bagley at three and it doesn't make any sense based on what lloyd pierce has 
preached thus far of just building a defense first mentality and his relationship with Lionel Hollins and just the way, like he was the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia. Like he Correct. openly talked about how Brett Brown just like gave him complete control to run this defense. And like his whole thing was funneling um, guards into his bigs. Like he wanted to send people into Joel Embiid because that was a bad shot. And like, I think he had, um, what was the acronym he used in the press conference about like, no, I think it was like, NFLs like no fucking layups or something like that. Like uh-huh. I think that's what it stood for, but like that was his whole thing is like he is a defense first guy and Bagley doesn't really fit that mold at all. So, um it's going to be really interesting to see, but I will say I wish this was like a if they pass on Luka Doncic at 3 and he's there, I I might actually throw my laptop. <laughs> like well, that might yeah. I I'm out. Schlink gone. Done. I'm yeah. out. If that happens, I, I can't. I couldn't get over it. I I will say this, and and you know, I, again, I, I've covered enough particularly NFL drafts to know that there's a lot of light going on, but there are mm-hmm. two pretty. There, there's, it's been pretty constant with the Hawks since really since late in the season. Number one, and this is before Pierce got hired. Obviously, I don't know that that Travis really likes Bagley either. Okay. So I don't, I don't see, I would be now, unless there's been a lot of misdirection and again, that's possible. If the Hawks yeah. stay at three and Aiton and Doncic go one and two in either order, I don't think they're going to take Bagley three. I think they'll, okay. I think they'll take that's somebody else or they will draft down. Now Jackson I could be, Jr. I could be wrong. Yeah. Jackson or, um, they really, actually, they would have to trade, they would trade down for the Celtic, uh, I'm drawing a blank, um, Young. Trey Young? They like Young a lot, I think, but, but again, obviously that would, that would be trading down to get him. Um, hmm. and now the, and the other thing is, I mean, I, I think if either Aiden or Doncic is there, they're taking them. I, 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 I mean, okay. they, they're pretty much the consensus, two best players in the draft. And I, I would be right. I would be really, really surprised if they passed on either one of those guys. So, but I, I, I had heard for a long time that, that they just weren't that crazy about Bagley, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Do you think they trade Bazemore and Schroeder this summer or just one? Um, well, I, I, you know, if it's up to, if it's up to Schlink, I think they're both gone ultimately, yeah. eventually. Um, okay. the, I would say, I would let me put it this way. I would say, Bazemore doesn't hurt you. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, Baze is is a good player. He's a good guy in the locker room. Everybody likes him. Uh, he's a guy you could have around for a while. He just makes too much money. But they're not really right. at the point right now where making too much money is a problem for them. Obviously, they'd rather not spend that much money, but it's not like they're bumping up against the cap or anything. It's not like they're going to, you know, go out and sign a big free agent. So I don't think having Baysmore on the team hurts them. Um, now that doesn't mean they wouldn't trade them if there's an opportunity to, but I don't, but I, I would think the greater emphasis is to trade Schroeder. If you're, if you're looking for just one of the two, um, he has a manageable contract and, and, he can he can drive, you know, and he's got athletic skills, but he's basically the same guy he was three years ago. And players around him don't get better. 
you have the occasional emotional ups and downs. Um, he drove Bud crazy. I can tell you that. I was going to say, do you think Budenholzer will miss coaching him in Milwaukee? Something tells me no, because that's on his list, by the way. Before Budenholzer got the Milwaukee job, like he listed his like trait, apparently, like where he wants to go is Indiana or Milwaukee. And Budenholzer, I'm sure, who like got like a... Didn't he get a little bit of an ownership stake? That's like part of the deal with him going to Milwaukee. Like, I'm going to go ahead and say he's going to do a hard pass on uh trading for Schroeder. Yeah. In yeah, I don't think yeah, I would that would surprise me if he uh if he traded for Dennis there. And I, I think on some level Schroeder is a homeless guy. I, I think he's just one of those guys who can, he's not very mature. He's immature and that's the thing after this yeah. at this point of his career when he's been in the league for a little while, you have to grow up a little bit. And and this is you know, they this is the guy when they made the decision between him and Jeff Teague, which was the right decision. I mean, you take the younger guy with more upside and, and, and you move on from Jeff T because you knew what he was. Um, but they, mm-hmm. there was a good trade. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, it was the right decision. But their belief was that, that at some point Schroeder was going to move on from where he was two, three years ago, whenever that was. And he hasn't, he's, he's the same. And plus he's got that legal situation hanging over his head too, which, um, not great. Yeah. Which is not great. And I'm sure at some point there'll be a, there'll be a money settlement and he, you know, and it'll go away. Hopefully he won't have to go to jail or anything, but, um, but I, so that's why, that's why there's him and Bazemore are sort of two different situations. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's, and I think at some level, each one has, you know, can be attractive to other teams. Dennis probably a little right. more attractive to other teams only because, um, Bays, Interesting. I, I think because Bays is a little, Bays is a good piece to have on the team, but, but Dennis obviously, offensively is better and i think there's always a coach or a gm in a league that says that guy's got talent we can change him we can do that okay mm-hmm. i mean how many teams have said that about dwight howard and so um he brings <laughs> us something many. okay we can make him more of a team guy we can make him you know he he'll grow up here a little bit i mean there, there's always those guys who will kind of fall in love with talent and assume they could fix the other part component of it which is not to say they want i mean dennis is still young um, and, and Dennis, Dennis could start. I think Bayes on many levels is viewed as a fringe starter, you know, or he's made probably better coming off the bench. Dennis is probably a starter. And so on most teams. And so um, in that sense, I think people like him. However, you're going to have to have him. You're going to have to have a team with some veterans around him, and you're going to have to have a really strong coach who he'll listen to. Yeah. And Lloyd Pierce certainly does feel like a strong mind that's going to um, be around for a while. My biggest thing with him, and it's going to be interesting to see, is because NBA coaches just don't generally get – like when you go into a rebuilding situation like Atlanta, it's really hard to make it through. Like Brett Brown was able to see it through in Philadelphia, but a lot of these developmental coaches or coaches who come into a developmental situation don't get to be there when this team finally gets back to the playoffs and becomes a perennial playoff team. So we'll see if he can see it through. I hope so, but um, who knows? We don't know yet. Um, So are the Braves now confirmed as a better team than the Nationals based on this night alone? (laughs) Yeah, as we're we're taping this chase, they have a half-game lead, and I think it's pretty much over. Just before you called, I was going to figure out the magic number, see their clinch number. Um, Can you please do that? Can that be a weekly column of the magic number? (laughs) Yes. I I think I've already referenced it a couple times this year, but I'm sure I'll do it again. Um, Perfect. I uh, No, 
No, they, no, they're not a better team than the Nationals. <laughs> now, I will, okay. I will say this: I uh, in in this advanced time of uh, journalism, because you know I'm old enough, as you referenced at the top, uh, I'm old enough to have started on typewriters, not even an electric typewriter, mm. but a portable typewriter. And I sometimes oh, wow. when I would when I would give talks to like schools, particularly like middle schools or high schools or something, I would walk in with with this little portable uh, mobile typewriter that I that I wrote on uh-huh. and, and the kids would look at me like I just landed from another planet. And, and you know, particularly <laughs> in middle school, you get these great questions like, well, wow, how'd you get your email? Well, you didn't have email. Well, how'd you, <laughs> you know, well, where did the phone go? Where's the, ma- I mean, where's the mouse? Where's the screen? You know, just, it's like, well, no, you didn't do that. So, um, it's, <laughs> so yeah. You still I, used a typewriter. Yeah. What was that? Do you still use a typewriter? Are you I, walking, I are you taking it with you now? I, I, I don't, but I've often thought about it. I, I think okay. Furman Fisher might have done this too. I uh uh you know, I've I've often thought about like my last column writing it on the typewriter, you know. Of course, but then I'd have to try to Okay, you can get off this whole last column, <laughs> wrapping it up. I don't like this. Just you're <laughs> dropping these little subtle hints that you're ready to move on. And uh, I'm not allowing any of it to I'm, happen. I'm sorry. Anyway, where was I? Oh yes. Oh, so I was going to say back to the Braves. Um, I was mm-hmm. the way this started was in these in these days of of you know print sort of being a distant uh, second in terms of a product, and because print probably comprises maybe ten to twenty percent of my readership. Everything else is online. Um, I have to have my my print column in. Basically, if I'm writing a blog or a column that, that is intended to be for print, I have to have it in by like six, seven o'clock at night. And that's it. So there's really nothing on written on deadline anymore for the paper, unless they make as an exception. So my early, this is a long way of saying that my early column before the Braves game was basically one huge advantage uh, the Nationals have over the Braves, obviously, starting pitching. And they have one of the best rotations in, mm-hmm. in baseball. And ultimately, I believe that's going to define who wins the East. And I, and that's not going out on a limb. It's just obvious. Now, of course, then what happens in the game is Sean Newcomb pitches a great game. Uh, he outpitches Tanner. He's been good all year. He's been really good all year. He outpitched Tanner work. And, and I will say mm-hmm. this about, about Newcomb. He is the first young Braves pitcher, you know, the first kid in the new quote unquote new generation who's really impressed me. Uh, he had, he had some issues last year, um, of, you know, when things would go wrong, you would sort of lose it. Um, not quite to the extent of a Fulton a but he's sort of along those lines, yeah. but he has just made some huge strides and, and pitching well against the nationals in the, in the, in the series opener after not pitching well in his last game at Boston, which was a big game for him. Cause that's where he's from. And then also coming back from walking the first two guys in the game, holding holding them to one run and then going on to win the game, pitching seven innings, which saved the bullpen. That was huge for them last night. The problem is they just don't get enough of those. And so because of that, I mean, I have to go with Washington to, to win the division. But the Braves are finding ways to win games. Um, they've had, what, about eight, I think, last at-bat wins this year. Um, they play right. hard. Yeah. They're aggressive. They run. Um you look at them and it's like, well, they really shouldn't be doing this with what I'm looking on a paper, but they're winning. How sustainable is mm-hmm. that? I don't know, but it could get them into the playoffs. But if you're asking me about the division, I, I'd still have to go 
with the Nationals. Yeah, and the Nationals are getting healthy. They still don't have Daniel Murphy back. Bryce Harper's still awesome. Like you said, their rotation's still top-notch. Like, they just got off to a little slow start, but this is still a team that's like... They are going to spend. They're going to even add somebody else. Like, they're just, they're going to win this division. But then the Braves also have to deal with the Phillies, who are now a very good baseball team. And the NL is low-key, just really stacked. Like, the AL is already wrapped up, basically. Like, we know just about every playoff team in the AL. But the NL wildcard stuff is um, very much up in the air. And uh, it could go a lot of different ways. So, it'll be fun to watch how the NL plays out. Um, Is Nick Marquegas an all-star this year? Wow, he's playing. What like. a weird question that I never yeah. thought I was going <laughs> to ask uh, before the season. It's absurd. You know the way the the weird thing about Nick Markakis is it's like everybody says, "Hey, he's pretty good. When are they going to trade him next year? He's pretty good. When are they going to trade him next year? He's pretty good. When are they going to trade him now? Uh, he's had, now he's, never because he's a brother. Isn't he like Ryan Flaherty's brother-in-law or something? I, so he's a he's a glue guy. You've, yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, he has, I will say this in terms of the glue guy he has, cause, cause you know, hello is a conversation for, for Nick. He's not a bad guy. He just yeah. doesn't talk publicly. He just doesn't talk a lot. He has huge a, introvert. He, he introvert. Okay. There you go. Uh, mm. he just speaking <laughs> to the media is not, is not, and again, not a bad, I don't mean to paint him as a negative guy or anything. You know, I'm not hating on him, mm-hmm. but coming out to speak to the media and holding court and being sort of that, um, I'll be the voice of the team and protect the other guys kind of thing. That's just not, that's just not something he'd rather do. Um, but he's done that a he's little more. Jeff Teague. He's done that a little more. <laughs> he's done that a little more um, lately, I think because he understands it's a really young clubhouse. Uh, but I, I still don't know really what their plans are, what the Braves long-term plans are for me. He's obviously a free agent. I think if they are out of the race or, barely in the race at the time of the trade deadline. I think you listen to offers and I think Alex Anthopoulos will, mm-hmm. will deal them because it'd be silly not to. Yep. If they're in the race, uh, then I think they would look bad to trade them, but I don't, I don't know. And then let's, let's assume for a minute that he's with the team through the season. He goes into free agency. You know, the first emotion most people would have was, well, he's going to sign with somebody else. But he's, I think he's 34, 35 years old, I want to say, something like that. Or he will be in, in November. Close. And, yeah. you know, here's where I think it's going to come down. He turns 35 in November. There you go. Right. So I at this point of his career, nobody is going to blow him away in free agency in terms of a long-term deal. It's not going to get a five-year deal or even a four-year deal. And the Braves theoretically could look at it as, you know what? We we don't want to spend a lot of money in free agency. He's really good for us. Let's give him a decent two-year contract, okay? Good money for two years. And I think the question is going to be become, will Marcakis want three years or even four years or something like that or three, you know? Uh-huh. And so I think that's what it can kind of come down to. And I think in the end, it'll come down to what offers does he get from other teams. So I don't know that Braves would be looking to get rid of him they have a lot of payroll coming off the coming off the books next year or after after this season, mm-hmm. as you know. And I, I'm sure they'll be limited in terms of how much they will want to pay him. But he's a really good player, and he's a good guy to have on the team. And if they can get him for a decent price, and most importantly for two years, I think they would keep him. I don't know if they would go to three years though. 
Well, they're going to have to save up because they're going to have to trade for Matt Kemp again because he's good again. Him yeah, yeah. Atlanta because he's become an all star since going back to Los Angeles. Well, we'll see what happens after they sign Bryce Harper, too. We'll see what's left. So, oh, right. Yeah. Man, they have a lot of yeah. no DH in the NL. I don't know how they're going to fit all these guys. Yeah. Chris Archer is still going to be in the rotation, so they're going to lose some prospects there. Uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah. We'll have to see how they fit everybody in. Um, quickly, on the Falcons, are you concerned at all about the Julio stuff, or is it no. just. It's June, and people don't have anything to talk about with this Falcons team, so let's yes. just talk about All of the above. You just summed it up. Okay. I don't even have to say anything. Uh, <laughs> it's OTAs, and I, you know, that yeah. people want to connect Julio's absence with, with, you know, one of two things. Either A, he's not a, he's not a team guy. He only cares about himself, um, or, or, or him not being here. Somehow there's a ripple effect and affects the other team and doesn't build brotherhood and blah, 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 and that's all BS. Um, he's as much a team guy as anybody else. And I, I think, and I wouldn't say this about every player, but I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I, I'm not concerned about it from that standpoint, or they're going to say he's right. staying away from OTAs because of his contract. And I'm not even sure that's the case. I mean, everyone just assumes that. Um, yeah. but I, and, and that's not to say that the Falcons won't try to tweak his contract a little bit. But I don't think he's staying away because because his contract hasn't been tweaked. In other words, it's an OTA. He's missed mm-hmm. OTAs before. It's not that big a deal. There's a bunch of veterans around football right now. They're not even worth going down the list, but you could start with the quarterback and tight end in New England and a bunch of other guys yeah. who will stay away from OTAs because they don't really need it, honestly. Is it, are there people in New England who are wondering if Gronk and Brady are not team guys? Um Brady granted wants the jury's still out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brady wants a contract tweak too, but I don't think. I mean, I don't know that OTAs has really has anything to do with it. So, um, right. I and and you know, in terms of his contract, he's only I think two years into a five year deal. This isn't typically the time that you rewrite a contract. And I look, I get how when you look at it now, you know, Matt Ryan got all this money, and some other receivers got this amount of money. Don't forget the upfront money that Julio got, though. You can't just kind of throw that away and say, well, this is what his base salary is right now. Do I think they'll mm-hmm. shift some money from the back to the front a little bit, maybe offer a couple more guarantees, maybe add a fourth year, and then you know move some money around? I think that's possible. But honestly, I don't know if it's a real high priority for the Falcons right now. Julio's going to be here. He's not the kind of guy who's going to walk out or hold out or anything like that. He's going to come in here, be normal. He's not even going to squawk when he comes into camp. He won't be the kind of guy who talks about his contract. Um, Sometimes this stuff is sort of sent out there as a trial balloon by agents to sort of get the conversation going. But just knowing Julio Jones, I would be stunned if this really is an issue when he comes back into camp, which I would imagine would be a mini camp. So, yeah, I'm not concerned at all. Okay, so we don't have to do any of the think pieces on why did he have time to go to the Cuevo Migos um, charity game at Berkmar and play in that, but he can't show up for OTAs. That's what I want to know. Those are the real questions. Too. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I'll have to see how, what his contract was for that game, how much he got paid for it. So, Oh, I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that. Uh-huh. It's not public. But that was fun. It was a good day. I, I very much enjoyed the uh, the Berkmar High School, um, Atlanta Falcons, Ezekiel Elliott. Like, what a what a random great thing. I, I hope they do more random stuff like that at high schools in Atlanta. Um, 
are you surprised they brought back Steve Sarkeesian? No, no, it's too, okay. no. And I, and I'm not, again, this is sort of a Twitter message board fan sort of thing of fire him. And mm. if you can roll back the roll it back two years, um, then, you know, people wanted Kyle Shanahan strung up after his first season. That I wanted him. Sh- oh, I never did. Yeah, I, 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 I will. The Falcoholic can confirm that I was on <laughs> Kyle Shanahan Island. Well, good. Years ago. Good. Well, I was right, and I was I was redeemed. Good. I, I was very yeah. happy. And the Falcons also they blew it because they could have just promoted Matt Lafleur to OC. I will never get over that. Yeah, that's what they could have done. They were they didn't do it, and now he's the OC in Tennessee after going to Los Angeles, and he's going to be awesome. And Mariota is going to have this career year after going like 13 touchdowns at 15 picks last year. It's all going to be awesome, and Falcons fans are going to watch just whatever this offense right. is in the red zone. Matt, Matt Lafleur really was the answer to it all. That's I'd love that one too. That's a great one. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, unbelievable, Jeff. Join me on Matt Lafour was the right answer <laughs> island. It's it's a very nice place. Um, uh, I'll just let you and Matt Lafour sit over there in the corner. That's fine. Um, okay, thank you. Uh, where were we? Yes, Sarkeesian. Uh, Sark. He, he yes. has never. Obviously, he hadn't called plays in the NFL before. It's not like he hadn't called plays. Period. Um, he was a really good coach there for a while. He was he was well thought of. Well thought of enough to be hired by some really good coaches, um, including Nick Saban in Alabama. Uh, uh-huh. Now, yeah, he was one of their nineteen offensive coordinators. Well, I'm sorry, what was that? He's one of their nineteen offensive coordinators, analysts, and whatever else yes. can yes. add to this never-ending staff. Yeah, I don't understand how it's legal, but anyway, right. continue. <laughs> so, well, you, they limited the number of headsets you can have now, so that's going to change everything. That's going to bring down. That's going to bring down Alabama. Um. But Sark, look, I'm not excusing anything that happened last season. He had some bad play-calling decisions, particularly down in the red zone. I thought he didn't utilize all of the weapons, um, or eh, this might be a better way to put it. I don't think there was a a sense of unpredictability uh, the way there was with Sark. I I think too often, particularly when they got down in the red zone, you sort of knew what was coming. I think, I think the year before when, when Shanahan was calling plays and they were really in a groove in that second year, I think it was like, whoa, how that, where'd that come from? You know, and you'd see, mm-hmm. you'd see passes to guys or you'd see play action plays or you'd see a running play even sometimes where there was like no defender there or no defender near them because they were expecting something else. I don't think we saw that as much last year, particularly down in the red zone. Now, all that said, they the Falcons, I believe, if not leading, they were among the league, the league leaders in drop passes last year. Um, and Matt Ryan was unbelievably unlucky, and Football Outsiders just published yeah. a really good piece on the most unlucky quarterbacks. And Matt Ryan had five like offensive players deflect the ball that right. ended up in a defender's hands. Five like of, it was right. outrageously unlucky. Five of his nine interceptions. That yeah, that that's correct. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this includes, by the way, Julio Jones dropping a pass right to him in the end zone in one game. Uh, and no, yeah. it's not because he missed. I think they have to trade Julio. Yeah. I think that's what we're going to I was about there. to say. We just have to move on. I was about to say, no, he didn't drop the pass in the end zone because he wasn't in sequence with Matt because he didn't go to an OTA the year before. That had nothing to do with right? it. He just dropped right. the pass. So, <laughs> so they had, they had some issues last year. And then you had, you could, now you could add things like, 
Um, they had some injuries on the offensive line, which obviously hurt them. Uh, and Taylor Gabriel, who had been really good in the Super Bowl year, turned kind of back into Taylor Gabriel last year. Uh, he got pushed around mm-hmm. on the line up front. He didn't fight through stuff. When when Sanu and Julio, uh, one of their two were, were hurt or they were both banged up, I remember, there was like about a one or two game opportunity there for for Taylor Gabriel to step up, and he didn't step up. And and so, you know, that was a huge part of their offense the year before because it was an option, and suddenly teams had to pay attention to Taylor Gabriel. That wasn't there last year. Did he, I think he underutilized – I do think Sark underutilized uh, Tevin Coleman. Uh, I think the tight end uh, was was a bit of a bust last year, and he's got to get better. So I I'm not – pulling the shoot on Sark yet like so many have, like somebody did after Kyle Shanahan after year one. We'll wait to see what happens after year two. Uh, I Dan okay. Quinn in a moment did when I asked him about it, did you expect it to be better? Because he their whole thing was it was going to be a seamless transition last year. They were going to run the same offense, da 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 da. And it clearly wasn't a seamless transition. And I asked Quinn about it and he admitted yeah he thought it would go better. So there was sort of he was sort of conceding that, yeah, he didn't expect some Uh-oh. of the struggles last year, but he didn't, mm-hmm. he didn't respond in such a way like, oh, my God, what have we done? It's just like I thought it would go better. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll see what adjustments they make in year two. I can say this, and I'm not making this up. The players really like Sark. Um, and mm-hmm. liking a guy isn't necessarily a mandate because they didn't necessarily love Kyle. But... I was going to say, Matt yeah. Ryan and Kyle Shanahan had to be like put in a room together. Wasn't Arthur Blank involved in this too? Where I will never, will, will never, will never know. We'll never know exactly okay. what it was. I, I don't a think. A great mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah they always are. <laughs> um, but Kyle, look, I mean, again, Kyle had called plays in the, in the NFL, and Kyle is a brilliant play caller. I don't know that you're, you're, you're right. Sark will ever be Kyle, but, but Sark, I think, can be good. And, and, I think the weapons are there, but I also think you have to, at some point you have to put some on the players too. And I, they did have some line issues last year and they had some drops and, and there was some lack of execution issues. And by the way, even in that last, you know, the, the, the off dissected last series against Philly uh, in the red zone last year, Julio Jones should make that catch. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And so there was only one play of the four plays. Every, uh, people ripped off four plays. There was only one play where I would say, really, is that the play you want to do? Um, but Julio Jones should make that catch at the end, even though it's a tough catch. And he slipped. And, and the play, people ripped the play, and there was nothing. turns out there was nothing wrong with the play because if the Eagles really knew what was coming, then why didn't they double Julio Jones? Why was he open? Why would why why was he there for a catch away? If they really knew what that play was, when you hell, why wouldn't you triple cover him? So I don't really get that either to some degree. Um, hmm. I know what all their comments were. I heard them all, and I read all the analysis afterwards. Yeah. But um, again, it was just kind of embarrassing. Like that's not what you want to hear if you're a fan of a team that the defenders oh, I knew did, look, was I, coming. I, I totally right get it, but I've also been in locker room and said, "Oh, we knew it was coming." Well, okay, well, if you really know what was coming then it's on you for not doing a better job covering the guy who, who slipped and yeah. fell and well, got up to and be still fair. someone that made the <laughs> when he cut a touchdown catch. Uh, covering Julio is pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, it's not a fun assignment. Right. Um, and also just losing to Jay Cutler at home will be the biggest. There were some bad of this past season. Yeah. There were some bad, what a game. There were some bad moments. Last Bills year. at home. 
there was just some really it was just yeah. a really weird yeah. season and then just i think i like the most certain i was about any playoff round one game was the rams beating the falcons at home i just didn't think the falcons could score enough to hang with them and then of course they go into la and win and then play the eagles the best of any other team like it's just it was such a weird season for the Falcons. Yeah, I think going. Um, I, I have no read. Yeah, the Rams game didn't really surprise me that much. I mean, and, and again, okay. I, um, because it's they were young, they were new. There was going to be a lot of pressure on them, and and people had sort of given up on the Falcons. I really hadn't. Um, I thought they were good enough, and I thought certainly I thought their defense was good enough. This is the part of the game that nobody seems to be talking about with the Falcons. I think their defense has gotten really good, and it's going to be even better this year. Uh, I'll go as far as to say they could have one of the better defenses in the league this year. And so yeah. that game didn't surprise me. I do think going on the road two weeks in a row is, is more difficult than people think. Should they have won the Eagles game? Yes. Um, but that Philly team turned out to be ascending, which nobody thought at the time, obviously. That's New England. Uh, and that defense in Philly is really good. And that's a tough place to play. Now, Again, that's not an excuse for losing, but if you put that game at home or if you put even the first game at home, you know, maybe it's a different story. And I think that's why they, they need to do better in the regular season. They can't lose home games to Buffalo and whoever like they did last year. And they don't have Jay Cutler on the schedule this year, which is... I'm, um, I'm sure it's a huge good. side release. I, yeah, it's a big, huge side mm-hmm. release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I hope he's in the booth. Like, I want to see Jay Cutler... In a commentary booth, because I have no idea what to expect from him. Does he just like go silent for like fifteen minutes and like Jay? You don't. Said anything you, a little bit. You, What's up? You don't. Yeah, you don't want to see Jay Cutler in the booth. You don't. Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. No. No. He's right. no. He's not going to be real glib as a broadcaster. <laughs> <laughs> he's a nice guy. Probably not. Vanderbilt, nice, all that stuff. But he's yeah. He's not going to be. Maybe he'll shock me as you know, one day as a commentator. But I'm I, like I, the inside scoop as to when Laguna Beach season four will be back, dude. Um, we can talk. Hey, about that's, that's my watch it. That's my old stomping ground. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I hey I love I I, sh- I don't know if I should admit it this in the podcast or not. Love Laguna Beach. Love that <laughs> show. I definitely watched it growing up. It was not two days for me. That will always be my favorite like MTV reality show growing up was all in on the Hoover stuff with Rush Probst and all those guys and John Parker was and everything else. But um, anyway, last thing, and then we'll go. How many wins are you expecting this fall? Because I think the ESPN Football Power Index has nine points something for this team. Do you go over or under? I don't have the schedule in front of me, or I'd go game by game and then officially be wrong. But um, mm-hmm. I'll go 10 wins with them. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'll go 10, 10 wins with them. I, I, I think I think New, New Orleans is... <clears throat> due for a, a step back last year after they were better than people thought. I, I didn't think they'd be very good last year. Um, <clears throat> I think, Tam- I think Tampa, I think Tampa's got some issues and I think Carolina's a question. So yeah. um, <clears throat> if they don't, if they don't win, if they don't go two, four, six, what, at least four and two in the division, I'll be, I'll be surprised. Um, oh, wow. So, and I think, and I, here's another thing. I think there's a good chance they win that opener against Philly. So, even though everyone's yeah. gonna go, oh my god, it's Philly. You know, I, I, I would not be. I mean, we do this every year. Dip- Kansas City. I don't think anybody thought Kansas no. City was going into New England no. and just absolutely <laughs> blowing them out. And Cream Hunt fumbling on the first carry of his NFL career, and then actually blowing the top off uh, New England. Um, yeah, you just, you just never know. And it, uh, it's gonna be fun. 
Jeff, is there anything else? It's Friday morning. Do you have any other comms going up this week, or is there anything else you're working on that I, uh, you'd like to plug for? I, I will have. I, I wrote two things yesterday. They're killing me with this whole internet thing. Um, I think the internet's mm. a fad, by the way. I think eventually we're going to come back to my typewriter. I've got it in a closet. And I'm going to so. blow the dust off it. And I'm going to run my little um, printing press, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, no, I've got one column left this week, barring extra blogs. And uh, then I'm going to take some time off. So that's that's the great thing about summer is I get to take time off. Perfect. All right, Jeff. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Jeff Schultz AJC. We can read you at the AJC. And we can listen to you on the We Never Played the Game podcast with Zach Klein. So, Jeff, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. And let's talk again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Trace. Before you retire and yeah. uh, this summer and never come back. You'll be whatever. my you'll be my first call. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Bye. All right. Welcome back to the Chase Arms Podcast. Now on the line, Seth Emerson, the Georgia Bulldogs beat writer, now the athletic. Um, he explained why he joined the athletic as one does, and he is there full time. Seth, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are things at the athletic? You've uh, been reading you for a while, and then you made the move to the athletic, and you're one of the early ones to get the uh, the college uh, sports beat. And uh, as they expand more and more into specific universities, how is it going so far? Very, very well. I'm hopefully not one of the last. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm not. We're, we're expanding a lot. And um, one of the reasons that I liked making the move is while I'm not done kind of reporting on nuts and bolts and injuries and that kind of thing, and depth charts and whatever, the, the athletic kind of wants to expand the coverage for us to be kind of, you know, what it means. And so you get to stretch your legs a little bit more as a writer and write more in-depth pieces and be more analytical, even write columns and kind of the next stage of my career. And I think it's kind of what people want, you know, I mean, when people break news, everyone gets the news. It's kind of what the next step is. Like, what does it mean? What's the impact? I think people want even more. And, and that's what the athletic strives to do. I love the athletic. I love reading it. And I love uh, reading your work. So I'm excited to talk a little Georgia with you because I'm sure you don't get to talk about the Georgia Bulldogs enough in your no. day life. But um, first question, are we going to see another quarterback kerfuffle this fall in Athens? Hard to predict. I wouldn't have okay. predicted it last year. I was mm-hmm. poo-pooing the notion this time last year that Jake Fromm was going to give Jacob Eason a legitimate run. And I think I was right. I mean, if Jacob Eason never gets hurt, you know, who knows what happens? Uh, well, now does Georgia State at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it it would have been interesting to see if they would have been as good with Jacob right. Eason. Uh We'll never know. Um, we do know that he got hurt. Jake Fromm stepped in. And by the time Jacob Eason was ready to go, uh, you know, almost luckily, so there was no quarterback controversy, um, it was obvious that they had to stick with Jake Fromm. I mean, they couldn't mess with a winning streak. They couldn't mess with what was working. Uh, and Jacob Eason handled it well. He understood. and uh, But Fromm kind of just had that 
the, the term gets overused, but he had that it factor. He, he had the support of teammates who really liked his leadership ability. He had, you know, very good management of the offense and very good grasp of the offense for a freshman. So that all kind of came together to make it so there wasn't really a controversy. Uh, everyone understood that Ethan should be the starter at the start of the season. Everyone understood that when he got hurt, Fromm had to go. And by the time Eason was ready to play, everyone kind of understood that you couldn't go back to Eason. Now, this was time it around. Was the Notre Dame game? Was that like kind of the definitive moment where it was like, oh, yeah, you can't move on? No, I mean, a little bit. I mean, they won that game in, in a lot of ways because of their defense. Defense mm-hmm. kind of iced that game. But then the, the week after that, I believe, was uh, some sort of – I'm already blanking, but it was, was a non-conference. Oh, non No, it was later, I want to say, but um, I, I mean, it might, I don't remember, but it was Sanford. It, it, it was just Sanford. a, yeah, that was it. Yeah. And there was a gradual kind of, you know, it, it just, he just gradually answered the question of, well, they can't go back to him. Yeah. Um, I and think they blew out he finally State, got eight, which like was one of those yeah. things where he had that big, I think that was the flea flicker game. That where was he, the big game. The game. Yeah. yeah that, I think that was game four or game mm-hmm. five. Um, they kind of run together at this point, but Mississippi state came in highly ranked. Even people like Aaron Murray were picking a Mississippi state win. Um, and Georgia just ran over them. And again, it was 31 three. So the defense had a big role in that, but, uh, I mean, Fromm did everything he was supposed to do. So now to circle back to what you were at, asking before, could Justin Fields give Fromm a legit run? Yeah, he could. And I think there's a part of Kirby Smart that would love to to make Justin Fields the starter. What what a great way to send a message to everybody, including your own players, that nobody's job is safe. I mean, this quarterback goes out and nearly wins you the national championship, and, and he loses his job to a freshman because um, the freshman performs better in practice. I think the problem with that is that, number one, like Fromm's not the kind of kid that is going to really – let that happen. He's not going to rest on his laurels. He's not going to just stop working because he had a really good first year. Um, and, and so he, there's going to be no let up on his end, which means mm-hmm. kind of a natural improvement from freshman to sophomore year. And number two, you know, Jacob Beeson held on to that job last year, coming off of an eight and five year and a solid freshman year. Whereas Jake Fromm's coming off SEC championship, Rose Bowl win, and nearly the national championship being SEC freshman of the year. He, he did more than Eason did as a freshman. So it becomes even harder to bench him. So now having said all that, if Fromm falters out there this year, Justin Fields is going to be right there and going to be available to, to use. So, uh, it, or if Fromm gets hurt, same way Eason did. Yeah. So it'll be interesting well, to see how it plays Fromm, out. He has yeah. Austin P and Middle Tennessee State and – uh, UMass on the schedule to help balance yeah. things out. It's nice when a fourth of your schedule is cupcakes. Yeah, I, I think week two and week four are really interesting for Georgia because those are both on the road to South Carolina and Missouri, two mm-hmm. teams that have returning quarterbacks. Drew Locke might be the best quarterback in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Georgia's got a reconfigured defense, at least a lot of new starters, including three new starters in the secondary. So, like, uh, those are going to be two games, your first two SEC games, your first two 
competitive games, really, where Georgia's offense is probably going to have to score some points. So mm-hmm. that's going to be kind of a little bit of an early test. Uh, they lost Heupel. He's now the coach of UCF, and he was the guy who kind of got Drew Locke into this machine that he is now. And they have, I think it's Derek Dooley is their new offensive coordinator, yes. right? Yeah, so we'll yeah. have to see how that works. But uh, I do agree with you that I think Drew Locke is the best quarterback in the SEC. So that'll be an interesting early test. But um, Auburn went in there last year and blew them out. Um, another good team, but that's going to be on the Georgia schedule. But uh, who do you think? You mentioned the defense. They lost a lot. Roquan Smith, a lot of guys moved on. Who do you think is the next guy up where fans are going to be like, oh, this is the next guy on this defense? The next leader, well, superstar, who do you think it is? They've got a couple seniors that you point at right away. DeAndre Baker, the cornerback, had a really good junior year. You didn't have a single touchdown thrown on him. Um, he considered going to the NFL up to the last second. I thought he might even do it because he was rated like as a possible third-round or better pick. Um, mm-hmm. But he decided to come back. So he's an all-SEC, even like all-American type candidate. Um, and then the other senior, DeAndre Walker, people kind of forget – like, yeah, they have to replace Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy, an outside linebacker, and those were two fairly good all-around players and leaders. But DeAndre Walker, as the third outside linebacker, was actually second on the team in sacks and tackles for loss last year and limited playing time. So mm-hmm. he's going to go out there and, and probably rack up a lot of those this year. It's just a question of how good all-around he'll be. And then after that, you know, they, they've got some other guys. They, Tyler Clark, defensive lineman, um, is a junior who's, you know, he had some really good moments late in the season, especially in the Rose Bowl. Um, he could have a big year. Jonathan Ledbetter, senior defensive lineman. Um, I'd, I'd look at Monty Rice, a sophomore inside linebacker. And Natrez Patrick, for all his off-field problems, um, wasn't with the team for the playoffs because he was in treatment. He'll be back, presumably, and at inside linebacker and provide some good leadership. So, you know, I, Will they be as good on defense as last year? Probably not, but they've got still some pieces that if they mesh together, you know, maybe they don't have a big drop-off. It should be interesting to see. I don't think there's going to be a big drop-off, and I, I just don't. I don't see that kind of uh, situation happening. Do you have any major takeaways from G-Day? Is it, can you really pull anything from a game where it's Georgia versus Georgia, or was there anything that kind of like caught your eye that you're like, huh, it's interesting to see this fall? Seems so long ago. I'm trying to rack my brain to say what was bit. my takeaway. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was hard to say because DeAndre Swift, for instance, didn't play. So, right, you know, you don't have a feel for that. And um, I, I one a, a few of the things that I remember coming away from was that just in general sense from the spring was that I think their secondary, their first string secondary, will be okay. Um, even though they replaced three starters, I think the three new starters potentially could be better. Um, mm. They just can't afford any injuries back there because their second team secondary uh, you know, just isn't there yet. Um, I think their linebackers will be okay. We talked about them earlier. Um, defensive line, they, they're good up top, but the other thing that kind of emerged from the spring for me is that their defensive line depth just it isn't good. And that could problems in the season because teams like to sub so much on the defensive line and that's where you get really good in run defense because your defensive linemen are fresh especially as you're going up against these 
faster paced defense or offenses and you got to sub in and out. And that's something Georgia has been able to do the last few years. And if they can't do that as much, or if the guys they sub in like their fourth, fifth, sixth defensive linemen aren't as good, then Georgia's run defense could take a hit. Um, you know, those were, that, that was kind of what emerged is what I would look at and the questions heading into the year, as far as the defense on offense, you know, we're, we're just going to have to let it, you know, see how different they are without Chubb and Michelle and the kind of one star running back to start the year. And if another one emerges um, behind Swift, uh, I think they'll be good at receiver and tight end though. And, and O-line should be pretty good too. Do you think they're going to, like, we're going to see more from have to do more and pass more instead of, like, games where it's, like, he's 9 for 12 and we're, like, midway through the fourth quarter? Like, because they don't have Chubb and Michelle anymore that he's going to have to air it out and open it up a lot more? Or do you think Jim Cheney's going to uh, not play conservatively, but maybe just still rely on the run game and not put in from positions where he has to throw 35, 40 times? I, I think they still want to be a physical downhill running team. That's just what they do. Um, that's the character Georgia football, but you can't force that if your strengths are going the other way. Uh, so, I mean, they don't have Javon Wims back at receiver, but I think they've got some pretty good receivers anyway, like Terry Godwin, McCole Hardman, Riley Ridley. So they've got the tools to pass the ball well, and, and I, I mean, I think they're just going to try and be flexible, um, the way I'd put it. They want to be a good running team, and the way you develop yourself into a good running team is you run the ball. Um, you know, so that's whether, where they will find out if Elijah Holyfield can be the number two back. Or Zamir White, if he's healthy, he can be the number two back. Um, or at least be a productive one. How many carries DeAndre Swift can realistically take in a game, et cetera, et cetera. And, and how good they will run with this new offensive line this year. But ultimately, when they get back there to pass, they can just kind of lean on what they were last year, especially if Fromm is still the starter, because uh, you know, he already already has a rapport with so many of those receivers. So it, it's almost like I would expect them to come out and run early in the year, especially maybe against South Carolina and Missouri teams where you want to keep their offense off the field. I mean, not that South Carolina's got a great offense, but you, know, you just want to probably bleed that game a little bit. Um, but then if they need to pass, they kind of know they can. Uh, so that's that's something that they can lean on as they go into the year. What do you make of Auburn's new AD's comments on the scheduling down the stretch for Auburn? Because it is something when you think about it, um, the Georgia-Alabama slate to close the year. It's really brutal for Auburn and yeah. obviously the home and away stuff. Like It's actually kind of amazing this kind of conversation has not popped up before this. I know you've written about this, but uh, what are your thoughts on his stuff and how do you think uh, Georgia and Alabama will work with them on it? Well, I mean, it depends on who at Georgia you're talking to. Um, you talk to Kirby and he wants to change it too, because he doesn't like every other year having to go to Auburn and then Georgia tech, which Georgia tech's not quite Alabama, obviously. Um, but it's two rivalry games. Um, but you talk to the athletic director, you know, and he says, well, you know, it's hard to do it. Uh, yeah. Well, you, but you talk to Auburn's AD and he says, well, we should figure out a way. It's not good for the conference to have one of your better football programs, Auburn, have to deal with this. Um, right. But I've talked to people at the SEC and they do say, like, look, it is hard to do. It's you, you move this, then you got to move this over here. You're going to move this over here. 
Um, they're going to have to, they're going to have to probably wait until 2025, uh, which is the last oh, wow. year of the current schedule. Um, you know, if they really want to do it, if you want to do it cleanly, then you could in 2025 have Auburn go to Georgia, um, and then repeat it the year after that. And, uh, kind of start with a new slate, you know, you're making up a new schedule, right? Whereas now if you change it, you've got to not only move Auburn to Georgia, then you got to move another game and then another game after that. It just kind of has this domino effect, but you know, the Auburn AD was kind of back in his coach. Gus doesn't like mm-hmm. it. So the Auburn AD is, you know, besides backing Bruce Pearl in the face of everything swirling around <laughs> there is, yeah. is backing his football coach too. Um, you know, and Kirby, I don't know how, like hard he's pushing behind the scenes for it. He was just kind of asked about it this week and he said what he said. Um, but really, you know, it, it's a little, it's a little weird that Auburn's the one that wants it more, at least publicly. And, and their AD definitely wants it more because they were the ones who benefited at the start of it because they got yeah. two straight home games against Georgia. Th- this was the original sin was that when they added Texas A&M and Missouri, they decided Georgia was going to go to Auburn twice in a row to make it work. And it was at that point that people at either program didn't really now, now Gus wasn't even there yet. Kirby wasn't even there yet. Um, they, they should have at some point someone said, well, hold on, you know, we don't want to have to do this later in the season. On the other hand, you could probably bring up so many other programs that have kind of the same deal late in the season. You got two challenging names in a row and, I, I do think that, like in the SEC office and and some other places, their reaction to Auburn and Georgia complaining about this is like, "Hey, you know, deal with it. It's competition. Yeah. It's football." Uh, but well, I mean, uh, it also, also is can't blame Auburn and Georgia coaches thing. to. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Auburn just had to deal with this, where they beat Georgia, and then they had to go, and then they beat Alabama, and then they were rewarded with Georgia again. And that's just a, it was an unbelievable three game stretch that if they were able to pull that off, um, it was just, we, we knew going in, like the narrative was they're really banged up because it takes a lot out of you to beat Georgia and Alabama in back to back weeks. And yeah, I get it. I get like Malzahn probably was like, you know what? We should have been a playoff team and we weren't because we had to play Georgia twice within three weeks. Yeah. And it's, I don't think those programs are going anywhere is their point. No. Yeah. Um, and people also kind of poo poo Georgia's complaints about it. It's like, well, you only have Georgia tech. Well, right. you know, Georgia tech could turn around and you know, be hey, pretty they have a good new defensive coordinator. Now it's coming. Yeah. Revitalization well, and they also, <laughs> you know, and as long as Paul Johnson is there, they're going to play that triple option, which tends to lead yep. to injuries. So, um, yeah, so that's where Kirby's coming from too. Yeah. Um, how do you think Pruitt will fare in Tennessee? You tweeted about him a little bit. Uh, my favorite Jeremy Pruitt moment is still his. Uh, have you seen him from two days when he was at Hoover, where he has that? There's a segment where I don't know who he's eating lunch with. I think they're at like, I don't want to say Outback or Longhorn, and the guy he's sitting there with is eating some. Uh, I think it's not celery. It's asparagus. Uh, asparagus that's what it is yeah and he's like what is that <laughs> they ask him if he yeah wants it and he's like no i was all in on he had never after all this he had it's never amazing. heard of asparagus yes it's it's uh that's uh that's every time i almost every time i eat asparagus i think of jeremy pruitt yeah that, okay. that moment i've lived in infamy one it's the best 
Um, I hope he gives like he's a fun person to talk with because that moment was just incredible. Um, do you think he's going to be a problem for Georgia in year one? Like he obviously gets familiar with Alabama and Kirby and all that. Do you think there's a chance that it will not be a bloodbath like it was this past year? I don't think he has the horses to okay. compete with Georgia and Alabama yet. Um, I could maybe foresee that year two improvement that everyone makes, but you know, Butch Jones's recruiting just was, you know, it wasn't like it was bad, but it was, it was a little bit too three star ish. Uh, so it, it might take a little bit for Pruitt to build that up. I do think where he will be a problem for Georgia and he probably is already starting to see that here and there is in recruiting. Um, Georgia probably benefited a lot from over the years from there not being a strong recruiter at Tennessee. Uh, they did this year. I mean, Pruitt was already there, and Georgia was still able to go into Knoxville, Tennessee, and get five-star tackle Cade Mays, who's going to compete to start this year for Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but give Pruitt a little bit more time to put in those inroads, and and he's going to, if he can close off some of these more traditional recruiting areas for Tennessee, Tennessee itself, um, and North Carolina, like the Charlotte area. Uh, and then kind of trying to sneak into Auburn or into Atlanta too, then that's where he will pose a problem for Georgia. It's just not happening yet. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, actually, this is a two-parter. These go hand in hand. What is the biggest game on the schedule for this fall that you've already circled for Georgia? And um, who do you think is the biggest roadblock? Or what is the biggest roadblock? Could be a game, could be a quarterback controversy, it could be whatever. Um to prevent them from getting back to the SEC title game this year? Well, I mentioned the two-game stretch against South Carolina and, and Missouri. I, I think Both we'll know games, a yeah. lot. Yeah, I think we'll know a lot leaving Missouri about this team. I mean, if Georgia's survived the, those two games, then they're in really good shape. If they've lost one of them, then you know, it probably will be hard to only finish with one loss, 11-1. and one. Um, on the other hand, I, I still say if you look at the schedule, uh, that that game in Baton Rouge in October is the one that's the biggest uh, obstacle. You know, obviously a lot of people kind of look at LSU as down now, and, and they are, but that gives them that gives LSU a little bit of time to kind of sort out quarterback and and some other things. And you know, Georgia gets Auburn at home this year. Uh, they get, I mean, we're talking about Tennessee, they're not really a factor. They get Georgia Tech at home, although they've lost to Georgia Tech twice in a row at home. Um, so, but ultimately, going into Baton Rouge is tough. It'll probably be a night game or three thirty. Uh, you know, they, they, LSU is going to have players. I, 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 I think if you look at Georgia's schedule, they're probably favored in every game right now. But how does LSU look when that game pulls around? Missouri and South Carolina are both potentially dangerous on the road. Auburn, when they come in, could be dangerous. Georgia Tech could be dangerous. You know, that's just scheming way out in the season. Um, so th- there's a lot of potential roadblocks for Georgia this year, and I'd, I'd still point it LSU as being the main one. And as far as the biggest roadblock for Georgia, I mean, there's always the unforeseen. Um, there's always something that could happen. Uh, they've had really good injury luck the last two years, uh, both years of Kirby Smart's. Um, tenure. I'd, I'd, I'd say that's kind of my main question. They, you know, they were eight and five in his first year, despite really no 
major injuries. Nobody, you know, they lost the punter for the year late in the season. That was the only season ending injury. Um, and then last year, they continued to be blessed with good injury luck and had the season they had. Um, mm-hmm. Is it because they're just that good in strength and conditioning, or does the injury luck start to run out? And if the injury luck starts to run out, they may have some depth issues in some certain spots where that could cost them some games. Am I crazy for having the Florida game as their biggest game? I think people are really riding off Florida too much. Yeah. Like Dan Mullen's just too good of a coach. And we saw what happened with Mississippi state, but like he was their best coach in Mississippi state history. Like he's going to bring that like, cause the biggest issue with Florida is like their defense has still been fine year after year. It's their offense has just been atrocious, but now you get a really good offensive mind. And like Felipe Franks was a five star and we'll see what that does. But like people are riding off Florida and I, I just, I can't do it. Like it would not surprise me at all. if Florida won the SEC East this year at all. Well, I would be surprised, but okay. you're right. I should have I should have mentioned Florida earlier as a potential, you know, another game that we don't know about because that game is always in Jacksonville. So that's not a game where Georgia's going to ever have a home field advantage, but they'll never have a home field disadvantage either. Um, and yeah, they they like Tennessee have not recruited great. So it's not like Dan Mullen inherits a lot. On the other hand, Dan Mullen's a good on-field coach, and that game's in late October. So, yeah, they're much like I was saying with LSU, that gives them some time that in the schedule to kind of get prepared for Georgia by getting their quarterback situation right and some other things right. Dan Mullen will have almost two months to get his thing going there and his offense installed. And so, that yeah, that could that could always be. I mean, if you cover Georgia or if you're a Georgia fan, you never write off the Florida game. I mean, 2002, that was a great Georgia team, 13-1, and won the Sugar Bowl, inexplicably lost to Florida. It was not a good Florida team that year under Ron Zook. Um, so you, you never write that game off. Shout-out to Todd Grantham, highest-paid defensive uh, assistant coach in Florida Gators history. That guy keeps getting them checks, and I appreciate yeah. Todd Grantham bouncing around and surviving after all these years. He, they're he, – there'd be nothing he'd like more than to beat Georgia. He hasn't been able to yet. Louisville, yeah. Mississippi State last year, he's 0-2 against Georgia, but he'll, he'll have more shots. <laughs> he will. Seth, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. This was great. Um, we can find you on Twitter at Seth W. Emerson, and we can read you now at The Athletic where you're doing great work covering Georgia. And, you know, you're not even just in the football beat. You're uh, having to keep up with Tom Crean and uh, right. him si- going to Lithuania to fill out his uh, – collegiate roster so check all that out and uh seth let's talk again soon all right thanks thanks seth all right last up another first time appearance on the podcast my brother caleb how are you buddy hey chase it's, uh, it's happening. We had dad last week, you this week. Do you think we'll ever get mom on? Probably not. Probably not. She's not really that into sports. You know that. Well, except for UGA football. But, um, you know. She loves to post about it, though. And Atlanta United, she's a big Facebook poster. She is, but I don't think she likes to, you know, go like into an hour of uh, talking about it. So, you know. Yeah, probably not. Maybe I can get her on for some TV talk because she does she does like that. Um, maybe one day. I don't know. Uh, I'm not betting on it. 
But anyway, um, you are a big Atlanta United fan. I am. Manchester United fan. Mm. And uh, Atlanta United had a another painful, aggravating, head-scratching game against the New England Revolution Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened? Um, it was just a very good game. I mean, I can't really say you know anything bad about Atlanta United. I mean, New England Revolution is also um, a good team. I mean, I give them credit. It's just um, there is just uh, some of the officiating was just a little, you know. I mean, it goes both ways because, um, you know, it's just kind of hard to, uh, you know, play when you got the officiating that some of these calls I just don't really agree with. I mean, there is, you know, uh, I don't know. Like there, I, I agree with the penalty kick towards the end of the game but um there is a missed uh tackle i think it's like in the 54th minute i think um where a new england revolution defender attacked from um he slid from behind in the box and took the guy out and to me i don't know why they didn't call that because if you're going to call the other penalty then i don't know why you didn't call this so really when you think about it it should have been two one but you can't really be upset because from what I saw with Atlanta um, United and I, and I hate to say this and I think Tata Martinez doing a good job as a coach it's just um, I, I feel when Martinez Joseph Martinez and uh, uh, Ezekiel Barco when they both go off the field um, even though Almiron stays on the field they just don't have any striker uh, help um, I think that's something they need to look in the transfer market. Or um, I heard that they're going to get that guy from uh, Monaco. I thought I finally think of his name. I actually he played for Manchester United, and I forgot about that like three years ago. But uh, <laughs> Falco, he plays for Monaco. So uh-huh. um, you think he's going to be a good fit? He's like in his early thirties, right? Yeah, he's not bad. I mean, he had like that really breakout year with uh, Keelan Magaby and. Uh, um, Falco, uh, they both had that breakout year for Monaco because they. I mean, I know the French league, League One, is not really that competitive because I mean, really, you only have PSG and Monaco and like maybe <laughs> like three or four other teams. Like, it's not really, it's not really that um, impressive of a league. It's not really that hard to win. You know, it's like, eh. but I I will give them credit though. Like in Monaco when they won that season, like that was really unexpected. And, um, I think Falco's okay. I think he would do okay. To be honest. I think I don't have a problem with Martinez. It's just, um, I'm starting to get frustrated though, because I'm, I start to question why he comes off like in the 60th or 70th minute. And I don't know if it's cause he's on Matt's pitch. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know. It's just the way, you know, Tata Martino runs his team. I don't know what, you know, anything about that. But I can tell you this. I don't like this Williams guy. I, I, I just don't, <laughs> I, I, I hate to, you know, I hate those the bus, but it's like every time they son, they son, they, you know, they throw him, uh, you know, they, 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 they throw Joseph out and they put him in. It's like, uh, like, I don't, I don't know how old he is. I don't know, you know, 
again, I don't know how old he is. I don't know where he came from or anything, but he's just he's just not impressive. I mean, well, that's where Falco would come in, right? Where you want to have someone when Joseph has to sit to get some rest because that's been the rationale with Tata is that he's he had to save Joseph for Philadelphia Union and he didn't want him to have too many minutes in that match against um, the Revolution. But the problem is he left and they were winning one to nothing when he left and then he leaves and they ended up with the tie. Right, right. And that's just that's just something that, you know, I just think, I know it's hard because I know a lot of Lenny United teams or just any any new team, I mean, whether you're in the MLS or not, it's just very hard to get big names I mean, especially in the MLS. I mean, that's why hardly ever. Actually, now that I say that, generally speaking, most LA, most people like Zaltan Ibrahimovic, you know, he went to LA Galaxy. So that's like the big wig of the MLS because just about everybody from Europe wants to go to the Galaxy. I don't know why that is. Like, I guess it's because LA is beautiful and everything, but I don't know. I mean, I think you could also go somewhere else like LAFC or. Seattle, or I mean, there's plenty of other teams that you can go to that can easily I mean, win a cup. It just depends on where you go. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but Wayne Rooney's possibly coming to DC United. So I mean, that's that's huge for DC United. So is it at this point? He's pretty old now. He's 32, I think. I think he's like the same age as. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not. I mean, he's okay. It's not gonna be like it's not gonna be like Ibrahimovic on the galaxy where it's just like, Oh yeah, that no, this good. This dude's really awesome. And he can still play. I, I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting to be honest. Cause Rooney is, is obviously younger than Ibrahimovic, but I love Ibrahimovic. Mm-hmm. That guy has my heart. Like, I don't care what people think of him. That dude. is just like, he is just amazing. Like I saw him play at PSG. That's actually where I first started following him was when he was at PSG. And then he came to Man U and I was so happy because Obviously, I'm Manchester United fan, but um, it's just I don't I don't even yeah I don't even care about that because you no. Know, but we'll see what with Rooney. I mean, he's supposed to be coming in like the summer transfer market because the MLS is different about transfer markets. So apparently, like in the summer, like July, I think they're thinking Rooney's going to come to DC United. I think he I think he might do okay. I don't know um, how good. DC, I don't think they're that good at all this year. But um, I think that would help them a lot, though, because they don't really have really anybody good at, at attacking. So I think that would be interesting to have a big name like Wayne Rooney. So and if he's and if he's hot garbage, I mean, you know, at least at least DC United's trying because you know I don't know if you heard, but uh, what's his name Taylor um, Wellman, is that his name, the U.S. soccer guy analyst on ESPN, he absolutely tore. United saying that um, they're like one of the most unrelevant MLS clubs and it's like, oh, <laughs> so. Yeah, you know? not great. No, not. But, you know, one, Rooney, one he should help things. He I, should be fun. I think they won four MLS Cups, so I mean, you can't really be too upset about that. So. Yeah. Um, why do you think Atlanta United has been struggling as much as they have in their last four matches? Um, well, I think, I think with, um, well, I think with last, excuse me, not last night, um, I think against the last match with New England, um, I think what's been killing them or it's going to hurt for a while 
is um, I read that Greg Garza is going to be out for the next remaining four months. Uh, he's a really good defender and one of the starters uh, for the uh, the defense, and um, that's gonna that's gonna hurt for a while because Greg Garza is probably one of my um, probably, probably most consistent defenders I think on Atlanta United. Um, that's gonna hurt because apparently he, he uh, he's gonna have shoulder surgery, um, and he will be out for I think for the next three or four months, four or five months I think. They're saying that he hopes to be back around MLS playoff time, but you know, well, yeah, only time will tell. But I think, uh, like I said earlier, I think the other big chunk of it is just um, the striker position. I, I just I I don't mind. Um, I really, I don't mind any of Atlanta's gameplay. It's just that I just think they just need more help in the striker position. I think they just need somebody who's a seasoned veteran who can come in like Falco or, um, you know, somebody, you know, cause like with Manchester United, like they have like, generally speaking, most teams have a, have a good start first striker and they have a second striker. I can, I, you know, I can back up. And Martinez is like 25, I think, 26, something like that. He's somewhere around there. So he's relatively, you know, young for the MLS or to be playing in the MLS. So, um, like, usually, like with Manchester United, like they have Romulo Lukaku, who's like 24, I think, 25. And um, right behind him, the other striker is Marcus Rashford, who's 21, I think. Both very talented. They're both amazing um, strikers. But generally speaking, Lukaku starts because he's a seasoned veteran. He scored, I think he led the Premier League in goals last year, I think, with uh, Everton. So, um, you know, my point is, like, usually you want, like, a striker. I mean, Martinez has, has shown that he can be the first striker spot. It's just usually you don't want, you know, one striker playing you know, the full 90 minutes, because then he's just going to be burned out for the next game. I mean, you know, you don't want that. And so that's why you want to put on a seasoned a season veteran who's played in the, in the league or Europe for a long time, and he scored goals. He can show how to score goals. And, you know, there's no issue with that at all. I mean, absolutely no issue with that. So I, I think um, since they signed Barco for a record – what was it like? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I forget. I think it was like five million, something like that. It was like the largest um, signing in the MLS. So if 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 Atlanta United could do that, I don't know why. I, I don't see them. I don't know why you can buy Falco if he's open to the idea of coming to America. So um, you know, if I was Atlanta United, I would probably be looking at if you're not going to get Falco. Um, you know, somebody again, someone that's in that's just a really uh, good striker position. So, I mean, if you're not going to get Falco, I would probably look at, I mean, obviously Europe, but I would look, you know, somewhere where, um, you know, he's a seasoned striker where he's, you know, where he's scored a dozen goals and he can prove it and he can do assists and he can help the team. So, that's what I look at. So, like, where you sign somebody like Ibrahimovic. So, you know, somebody that can absolutely come on the pitch and dominate or get goals. So, yeah. 
What do you make of Orlando City banning organized supporters of Atlanta United from the stadium for a while? Is this the best rivalry in the MLS now with Orlando and Atlanta? Um, yeah, to be honest, like ever since I've started to get back in the MLS, um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I think, I think, I think Atlanta and Orlando is a good rivalry. I do like it. I don't think it's as billed as a rivalry. They don't really do that as much, but it's obvious that these two teams do not like each other at all. I mean, that's a, that was a given watching them play. Um, especially when Orlando fans decided to throw trash in the, <laughs> on the field. After the game is crazy. Yeah, that that was pretty insane. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, that's definitely like number two on my list. In my opinion, I think the biggest rivalry in MLS right now, and I don't know how people feel about this or what their opinion on this or anything, but I'll be completely honest with you. I think New York City and New York Red Bulls is probably the best rivalry going on in Major League Soccer right now because that rivalry has either gone completely Red Bulls or completely New York City. I mean, it's it's always, like, whenever they play each other, like, it's that's what they call it, New York der- uh, Derby. And, like, those teams do not like each other. And I honestly love that rivalry. I think it's amazing. Um, because I think they beat New York City, like, recently, like, 5-0. So, you know, I just love how that rivalry goes, like, either one way to New York City or New York, uh, Red Bulls, so it's always something you know different and um, I, it, the, either that or like I probably say the three best rivalries going on right now in the MLS that's it cre- created a lot of attention which is really good for the MLS when you think about it it's good for revenue good for you know everything because they need as much money as they can get so um, I think the three best rivalries is Atlanta United with Orlando City and then the New York Derby uh, with New York Red Bulls and New York City FC, and then um, LAFC and LA Galaxy, because that game was insane. I mean, LAFC and LA Galaxy, that was just insane. Ibrahimovic's two goals was just like, that one goal he did from like 40 yards away, that was just nasty. I mean, oh my God. (laughs) Like, that was just insane. But to get to... Uh, Atlanta United with Orlando. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I can't. You know, if I was an Orlando City fan, um, I would not be too upset with that loss to Atlanta because I thought that was a very well um, officiated game. I'm not, and I'm not just saying that because I support Atlanta United. Um, it's just I thought, I thought that was a very a clean game. I, not, um, you know, I didn't see really any. I mean, there were some calls that you know I didn't really agree with, but I mean. For the overall aspect of the game, I mean, you can't really be too upset. I mean, you know, Orlando City just didn't take their chances and didn't really create any chances, didn't really, you know, they didn't really do anything. So, you know, I mean, I think that was like really poor officiating, which has been the case for the last two Atlanta United games. So, you know, and that guy, Mark Geiger, who's the VAR guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me even more disgusted because apparently I read that he's going to be in charge of the VAR for the World Cup. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you want this guy who's missed replays before in the MLS, which, by the way, doesn't even have that much scoring compared to Premier League or any other uh, European uh, European teams. So you want this guy who's basically in charge of the most important game um, 
in this tournament and also deciding who's going to be the champion of the world, which, by the way, over 200-something countries watch. So I'm like, are you sure you want this guy to be in charge of the VAR? Because if I was, I mean, I already know Lanny and I fans hate him, but I'm like, if I was even a, even if the USA was in the World Cup, I would not want this guy in charge at all. You know, I'd be like, nope, you need to find somebody else. Because you're telling me this is the best guy. Oh, man. What a take. I know. Destroying Geiger. I know. I, I, I hate to do it, but it's just like, again, you know, I, I mean, I know it's going to come back and say, oh, you know, oh, you know I think you're just salty. And like, no, not really. Because when you, when you look at, when you look at facts, when we stack up, it's just like, you know, I mean, my dad, my dad's a prime example. I mean, he, he used to, a fit, he used to referee soccer. He used to coach soccer. I mean, yeah, he knows in the back Did of you his say mind. my dad instead of our dad? Our dad. Sorry. Our dad. Yeah, our we dad. have the same dad. That's right. Uh, in case the listeners were wondering, we do have the same mother and father. That's true. That's but true. continue. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, um, you know, our dad, you know, he coached soccer and, you know, man, you know, he did, he did every, so soccer is in the back of his mind. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing where if he's disagreeing with him, it's, it's another thing when he's just getting pissed at this guy because he knows full well that he's not doing his job. I mean, or you do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, I hate to, I hate to rip into this guy and, you know, say that he sucks or whatever, but it's like, I don't, I don't know what you want me to say when you miss, you miss like two or three, like, replays and the whole point of var in the mls and premier league is to um you know look at fouls and look at plays that you know they might have missed that's the whole point and it, i just laugh because the champions League doesn't even have var and there's i mean obviously there's i'm not i don't know, i'm not gonna get into that i watch like just about every match of the champions league but um there, I wish there was VAR in Champions League. I think they should put it in there. But I just laugh because there's actually more officiating and more cleaner matches, I think, in Champions League than there is in the MLS. Because I think, you know, I, I, and I just laugh because the, the Champions League doesn't even have VAR. And so they can't replay or look at anything. But the MLS does, and they don't even know how to make the right call. And it's not just Elaine and I do. That's the funny part. I, I keep up with other teams. Like, I watch, like, other MLS teams and i think it was like chicago against um east or something like that like they replayed and then like the original call was no they, they said he was offside or something like that or something i forget and then they just they looked at the replay for like three seconds I don't, I don't know i don't know what the i don't know what the hype is about three seconds with these officials or var guys but you know they looked at it for three seconds and they're like no it's okay it's a goal and i'm like okay I don't, I don't get it. It's just, I don't know. There's, there's needs more. I, I agree with what my, with, with what our dad said last week or what he's been saying. I agree with that. There, he, there needs to be more consistency with this guy, like either Mark Geiger or just the league itself with MLS officials. Like you need to be more consistent with some of these calls because, you know, if you call, like, I mean, again, I go back to the new, the New England Revolution game because they called, you know, I told you they called a penalty. Um, towards the end of the game, which it was. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue that that was a penalty. It was in the in the 80th minute, but in the 54th minute, there's I forget who got taken down, but one of our strikers got taken down from behind. That 
not only that, from behind. I mean, if it's from behind, that's a dead giveaway. I mean, if it's in the front, okay, you know, I, you know, you probably have to replay that. But if it's in the, if it's from the, if it's from behind, I don't know how you miss that. I don't know how you can't say that's that's an automatic penalty. I mean, I mean, that's really a red card too. If you can get in trouble, I mean, you can get a red card for going in from behind and taking out somebody. That's how you injure people. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, that's just inconsistency. I don't know how you could say that's not a penalty, you know, and then you give a penalty to the other side on the, in the 80th minute where, I mean, again, I, I knew it was a penalty. I'm not going to argue with that, but I don't know how you can say that earlier in 50, the earlier, the earlier incident was not a penalty. So, you know, I, last thing, and then we'll go. Um, what do you think of Cincinnati being the next team to get an MLS team? Um, uh, yeah, I knew we were going to talk about this because um, that's like brand new news. So it came out like yesterday, I think. Uh, I I actually love FC Cincinnati. I think they're like a really fun team to watch. They, um, I watched them like in the U.S. Cup, whatever it is. I think against Chicago Fire one time. Um, they're a really fun team, and their fans are crazy. Like those, like, those Cincinnati fans are crazy. They're like, um, I love that. I think that will be a huge um, pickup to the MLS. I still say that I think David Beckham's team, the Miami FC team, and I think that will probably make the most noise. To probably have the most success in the recent years because I think I think that I think that will actually really thrive in Miami with soccer. I think that would be pretty huge. Unlike Tampa, I, I think that um, I think it would do really well in Miami. Um, I mean, Tampa, Tampa would probably do well too. Again, I know they had that old MLS team, the Mutiny, but um, I think they still deserve maybe one more team. I mean, if, they, if not, it's whatever. But hopefully, in the future, they might get one. Um, they might come to MLS. But I really like um, I really like FC Cincinnati. I, I really do. Um, I'm kind of sad because uh, you know I think Columbus is the Columbus crew are going to leave um, the state of Ohio. And I was really looking forward to uh, FC Cincinnati versus Columbus crew rivalry. I was really hoping for that. Um, like the state of the state of Ohio rivalry, but I, um, well, we don't know for certain yet. We still don't know if they're going to move to Austin, but it does seem like they're going to move somewhere. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I hope not, but you know, it, it's, it's a, not looking good. Yeah. I mean, it makes me sad because you know I I think a lot of I think a lot of MLS uh, fans I'm not sure how many they're out there but but there might be a lot I don't know but um, I think I think there's a lot of MLS fans that would really like to see um, you know kind of like a LAFC versus LA Galaxy kind of thing you know like New York City versus New York Red Bulls kind of thing you know like that that would be pretty that'd be pretty cool I think to see them like that but. Or even probably in the future with Orlando and Miami FC, I might be a big rivalry as well. I don't know. We'll, we'll see in the coming years. But uh, all right, thirty seconds on Solo, and then we're going. You saw Solo. I haven't seen it yet. Um, what did you make of it? Thirty seconds. Go. Um, I'll be honest with you. I liked it. I did. Um, mm-hmm. I, I liked the beginning of it. Um, I liked, you know, a lot of it. It's just, there is some, there is some plot holes in the story that I just kind of scratched my head and went, 
mm, I don't really get it. I don't really understand. You know, I don't want to give any spoilers away. No, no spoilers. You know, it's just like I can see why Rotten Tomatoes gave it the rating it did. I think it gave it like a seventy-two, I think seventy-four. So, you know, I was I was bit, I was I was really shocked when I first saw that um, before I saw the movie. But after seeing the movie, I'm kind of like, okay, I can kind of see why. I mean, in my opinion, I, I mean, I know it wasn't supposed to be better than Rogue One, but it's still the best Star Wars movie. Yes. Well, not in my opinion, but <laughs> but I had to get that in there. Continue. I knew you were going to say that. Um, but I mean, I still thought Solo would be, I don't know, maybe a little bit better. I, I was kind of confused with some of the storylines i mean i liked everything about han's origin that was probably my favorite part it was probably like watching like where han came from and like how he started how he got his name you know how he got the ship oh by the way if people want to go see solo i would highly recommend that you stay and watch um don glover as lando because he, he did a phenomenal job like that was amazing like i absolutely love that part <laughs> like what he he is lando was just that was amazing that was probably my favorite part in the movie like he I was actually really blown away how well he did, to be honest. Like, that was really good. And, uh... All right. There yeah. you go. Um, all right, man. Well, this was fun. We're, uh... Your first podcast. It's done. I know. Crazy. All right, brother. I oh. will, uh... Talk to you soon. Yeah. Sounds all good. Right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it being on the show. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.